Are you ready to experience something extraordinary? Cultural gems in Croatia, ancient temples in Asia, art in Italy. We'll take care of everything. Flights, accommodation, excursions, local guides and all that planning. Travel department, let's see more. Hello, I'm Conor Fulton and this is Driving Life. Welcome to episode 43. I'm talking to Neil Briscoe, car nut and all-round expert, about why cars have got so big and why car makers are insisting on selling us SUVs. I've been having rows about that publicly recently on Pat Kenny at Elsewhere, so I'm keen to go into a little more detail with Neil. So for once, my motoring-themed podcast will actually have a motoring theme. But before we get going, I'd like to take a moment to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Doro Mobile Phones and Expressway Buses. Two great companies in very different areas. They're very good to support us, so thank you very much. Don't forget to check out earlier episodes and other chats. It's all there on seniortimes.ie or wherever you get your podcasts. So now let's go and meet Neil Briscoe. So, hello, Neil Briscoe, a motoring correspondent in the Irish Times and Complete Car, um, and I suppose Complete Car Nerd. How are you? Good to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of phrase. Definitely a Complete Car Nerd. Good good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Connor. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Of course, we, we've known each other for years and years, Neil. How long have you been uh, writing for the Irish Times? I have been writing for the Irish Times since 2009, and the only right. reason I know it that precisely is because my first ever piece for the Times was writing about the 2009 Le Mans 24 Hours, so uh, oh. I've just passed my anniversary. There you go, so precisely dated. Um, and life as a motoring correspondent, I mean, one of the things you guys do is you drive a different car every week, um, often, you know, marvellously aspirational, luxurious cars. Um, is it is it an enjoyable lifestyle or does it actually just get to be a drag? It, it has its moments. I'll say that much. No, I wouldn't say it's ever a drag. Uh, I mean, you know, to, to 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 quote my grandfather, it's not working down pit, is it, lad? Yeah. Um, it's uh, it, it has some moments of tremendous fun and enjoyment, uh, and it also has those you know those awful kind of moments of staring at a blank screen, wondering how you're going to make a very ordinary car sound interesting to the reader. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you know, they're 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 downs. It's not great for your blood pressure either. All the all the early starts and things like that. But yeah. uh, and you do travel that, a lot. It, uh, you travel. A lot of part of it don't you uh yeah we do we uh, the car companies prefer to bring us places to drive cars rather than bring the cars to us uh, a lot of the time uh, simply because that works out cheaper for them but it does mean an awful lot of 2 a.m and 3 a.m starts for the airport which and i i don't travel as much as some of my colleagues i have to say i i, I hmm. have friends in the in the game who you know they live at an average altitude of ten thousand feet uh whereas you know because i've got kids and a, and a busy home yeah. life i tend not to travel quite so often yeah, better off that way, better off that way. Yeah. Listen, one of the things you do then, obviously, is you look at cars and car design uh, and you're looking at them for years. Um, I, mm. I wanted to chat today, Neil, about a bee in my bonnet. Um, cars are getting huge. And um, just yes. year by year, the physical footprint of, of all of the new cars, uh, they're just becoming huge. Why is that happening as a trend? <sighs> There's a huge number of influences going on that, that, are, that are driving up the weights of the cars. Um, the, the, the bit that gets the most blame, and to be fair, 
deserves the most blame is 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 the rush to buy SUVs, and obviously yeah. that's been hugely influenced over the last kind of twenty years by what happened in the U.S. market, um, sort of through the late seventies and on into the nineties, mm. uh, when the big three American car companies, Ford, Chrysler, and General Motors, uh, suddenly realised that a there was hefty incoming new legislation at that time known as the cafe regulations that's corporate average fuel economy legislation which said across your whole range of cars they have to average a certain miles per gallon figure but the three companies realized that well hang on this doesn't apply to trucks and pickup trucks so if we make a range of cars based on those bigger heavier dumber You know, we can turn a much, much bigger profit on them than we can on these sort of saloons and hatchbacks in the States, because these are going to be subject to the new rules and they'll require better technology. And so kicked off the American obsession with driving pickups and SUVs as everyday cars, which has bled through, not so much on the pickup front, obviously, but certainly on SUVs, Mm. it's bled through to Europe. So so that's an influence. I've been in a few rows recently on the subject of SUVs. Um, And, you know, I've kind of come to the conclusion that SUV itself has become an unhelpful term um, Mm. because, you know, it triggers a whole load of prejudices and and, and it's it's really nothing to do with the shape of the vehicle. SUV really just refers to the shape, but it's the sheer Mm. physical size of them and they're getting bigger. And this is an unwelcome design trend. um, And and to me, it's 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 causing the car. To have you know needless enemies because um you know anti-car campaigners point to the damn things and say too big too big for our towns and cities yeah and rightfully so in a lot of cases uh i mean i i'm no fan of suvs i um i've i've always been someone who uh, you know from personal taste and and and, yeah. and also the personal purchases that we've made as a family we always go for estate cars and i know estate cars are a bit of an anathema to a lot of irish buyers who kind of see them I traditionally have an as yeah. well there you go you see you're a man I mean, of taste and, and decorum. Uh, a man of taste and discernment yeah yeah there you uh, and go. also it, um, also it was one of the remaining fleet cars in the aa that i just took with me as i left um, <laughs> Always think, yeah. making the sensible purchase here. Always making the sensible I mean, purchase. Estate, yeah. estate cars effectively do the same job as an SUV, but they do they it do. lower down and and generally speaking at lighter weight. So, you know, you can fit the same amount of stuff and the same amount of people in, but because you're, you're using a lot less energy to do it. SUVs are, are, are disappointing in terms of the space they afford, boot space and passenger space. Um, Frequently it's actually so, yes. not great given the enormity of the bloody vehicle. Um, so wouldn't it be great to bring estate cars back into fashion? Um, uh, one of the rounds I had was with Saiv O'Neill, the Green uh, Party person. Um, mm. But she said one thing in the course of the row that I, d- I did agree with, which is one of the areas where you could address this is at European level. Um, we, we can regulate and make car manufacturers do what we want them to do. Now they'll always find the cracks, as he, as you pointed out in America. You know, if they, they they won't do the right thing unless you make them. But they they they're you know they can be channeled, and the push to make all domestic cars diesel fifteen years or so ago, uh, you know, mm-hmm. was was based on the best environmental advice and the best technology available at the time. And they're now pointing massive money at electric. So they will spend in the right areas if you make them. And um, can we stop them? making it big yeah maybe the the Mm. thing is legislation tends to be a bit 
blunt force. Yeah. And as you rightly point out, car companies will always, I mean, car companies are companies first and foremost. They're there to make a profit. I mean, let, yeah. let's not, I mean, we, we tend to get romantic about cars and, and the sensations that they provide and the kind of image that they project, but ultimately they are, a, they, you know, they're, they're, a, they're a commodity bought and sold. Yeah. And car companies are there to make a profit. So, yes, in theory, we could say to car companies, you can only build cars up to this weight. Yeah. But there's a big, big problem at the moment that that does not uh, conform with the legislation that exists that says you can only make electric cars after 2035 or thereabouts, mm. or at least you can only make zero emissions cars after 2035. Yeah. The Electric cars are wonderful things in a lot of cases. I mean, to be fair, electric cars are like any other car. There are good ones yeah. and bad ones. Yeah. But generally speaking, they're lovely to drive, they're smooth, they're quiet, and of course they are efficient, mostly from an emissions and energy usage point of view. The problem is that they tend to be incredibly heavy yeah. for a given size because batteries are so heavy. Batteries tend to be about three to five times heavier per energy uh, uh, per their energy capacity than an amount of liquid fuel. Yeah. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. That's something people don't tend to know about electric cars, uh, but yeah. they're a good sort of 30, 40 percent heavier um, than well, their, I, th their I think that the, I see the, the best the, the best rule of thumb I've seen so far is that the Opel Corsa, which is available either as a 1.2 litre petrol yeah. or as a, a, an EV with a 50 kilowatt hour battery. And the difference in weight between those two cars is 500 kilograms, which is a lot. I mean, which that's is a lot. Five, so, that's five of me and I'm fairly chunky. Yeah, so, so batteries are heavy. Um, and, yeah. But the, 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 the other thing that I just don't like is the physical footprint Um of a car. I mean, ordinary mm. domestic cars are being over-engineered. They're being, you know, produced in masses and marketed in masses. Um, and, and they're just too big to be fit for purpose. Yeah. They, you know, in Japan, they had the K-car concept, Neil. Um, you're aware of that. I mean, they, these were Japanese Absolutely. rules brought in post-war. And because of the scale of Japanese cities, and it essentially created a category of car that was tiny. And um you know, rapidly became successful and you have tiny pickup trucks, tiny delivery mm -hmm. vans and tiny cars uh, appropriate uh, to, to, you know, those dense Japanese cities. But they work a treat and there's something like a third of all car sales in Japan and um, mm -hmm. like smart cars, but became kind of ubiquitous. So why aren't car companies providing us with products like that? There's, there's a few reasons. K cars are a great example, actually. And, and generally speaking, when a car manufacturer turns around and says, well, we can't make profits from small cars, which is what a lot of them do say, yeah. you know, you just kind of throw a thumb over your shoulder and go, have you seen a K car? Because Toyota and Nissan and Honda and Mitsubishi and all the others tend to make fairly good profits out of those. Uh, oh. Yeah, I mean, a K car solution would be fantastic and I'd be absolutely bang up in support of it because they're limited to 660 cc engines they're usually turbocharged so they tend to be small light agile 
fun to drive. They generally speaking look interesting. You get some really gorgeous kind of retro style K cars. And there've been some great even K car sports cars like the Honda Beat yeah. and the Suzuki Cappuccino. So yeah, I'm fully in favor of K cars. But in, in terms of cars have gotten bigger to an extent because we've gotten bigger. Human beings are bigger mm. now than we were sort of 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. But also because of safety legislation. If you need to build in a, a yeah, yeah if you need to build in a Exactly. All that stuff takes up space and it adds weight. Uh, and I think that, you know, there might be an argument, and it's a difficult one to to kind of pull mm. the different threads off, but there might be an argument that says, do you know what? We're kind of safe enough now. The safety performance of a modern vehicle is so astonishing yeah. that it, we may hopefully have reached a point where we don't need to add any more weight. The other problem is, of course, that mass production of cars is generally speaking set up around stamped steel panels. And although you can mm. make those quite light, certainly relative to how they used to be, they're not as light as aluminium and they're certainly not as light as as more modern materials like carbon fibre. But yeah. carbon fibre allows you to make an exceptionally light car, but it's exceptionally expensive to use. And right now it doesn't really work very well for mass production applications. So yeah. that needs to be worked on too. Yeah, and, and, and you know, the technology does keep advancing. And if you look at Euro NCAP, the um, car assessment program, and um, they now award stars uh, for uh, the degree to which a pedestrian can be protect, protected in impact with the car. There will never be a good way to be hit by a car. But no, you can do engineering not. things with the car. You you can make, you know, grills and bonnets more sympathetic. Um, there are lots of good things you can do um, to, 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 to mitigate. So to, kind of design is improving in that sense as well. But uh, you, you get to the point where it's no longer the car, as you say. I mean, these are now city systems you need to consider and how pedestrians behave, how cyclists behave, and, you know, how the mix works. Uh, yeah, and also, of course, the, the biggest advance, particularly in pedestrian safety, has been the the the, the growth of emergency electronic systems that, that mm. can scan the road in front of the car and automatically break and mitigate or eliminate any uh, any potential collision. You know, you look at the NCAP ratings, and one of the cars that I remember getting the most amount of online abuse for driving mm -hmm. and writing about was the Land Rover Defender, which is a big, heavy, chunky. Oh, I wouldn't call it an lovely, SUV. It's a proper four by four. Yeah. yeah, but it has a 71% pedestrian safety rating from Euro NCAT, which is the same as much smaller, much lighter hatchbacks and saloons. So it's counterintuitive, but there's really good data in the NCAP stuff. Totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. NCAP is, I mean, NCAP is not perfect by any means as a form of, of testing safety, but it is, yeah. it's certainly a good baseline from which to it's be working. Good. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. good. And, it, and it's a good indication of how you can channel the activity of uh, manufacturers, because I remember being involved when your NCAP was being set up. And yeah. because the auto clubs in Europe were one of the partners. And, and at that, the first thing the manufacturers did was try to rubbish the tests. They, they, you know, yeah. jumped down on the, uh, uh, you know, claimed it was unscientific, etc. And, uh, you know, the tests were brilliant. They were so far superior to what was being done by legislation yeah. by the EU. Anyway, very quickly, the manufacturers ditched that as a strategy and tried to improve their scores. And in the space of a couple of years, um, you know, so the, the, the passive safety systems in cars and the crash protection, etc., cetera, uh, improved hand over fist with a real result. Mm, it absolutely was. But I think, you know, there's also a thing that because we do live in a free market economy with all the sort of good good side and bad mm. side of that, you, you look at cars that are genuinely innovative. And, and I look back 10 years ago 
BMW launched the original i3 electric hatchback. Okay. It was small. It was reasonably roomy inside, actually really good fun to drive. Later versions had a had an electric range of well over 300 kilometers, and yet it weighed about 1,200 kilos yeah. compared to, you know, the most, most of the electric SUVs that we're now buying, the likes of the Volkswagen ID4, the likes of the mm. uh, Hyundai Ioniq 5. They're two tons, 2.2 tons, uh, you know, depending on the version. Uh, the weight has just ballooned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um uh, well, at least, you know, manufacturers are delivering products there. So, um, you know, there, there are good electric options. Um, but, you know, again, this be in my bonnet about the sheer physical size of the cars, two mm. tons of vehicle. Um, and, you know, most of its life, it's, it's, it's poodling around in an urban environment. Yeah, it, it's, it's an enormous issue. I and, mean, you know, we could see the problem is again manufacturers are looking at this legislation that says right you can only make cars with battery power effectively that's mm. what the legislation says at the moment because there's 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 just not enough being done on the hydrogen side there's not enough being done on the yeah, synthetic yeah. fuel side so it's going to be electric one way or another electric is very very heavy but the customer still demands a car that can go for say 400 500 600 kilometers on a single charge for when they do need to do a longer journey and that's yeah. an entirely fair enough demand from an average customer the trouble is that means a big battery big batteries are heavier car has to be bigger to accommodate it and you so you get into a vicious cycle of size and weight gain if we had a much better public charging system whereby longer journeys would be possible with smaller battery cars then we could start building smaller battery cars yeah and you and know so this car has a range that. of so far so hard now the only kind of glimmer of hope on the horizon is that, that there's a gigantic japanese uh, sorry chinese i should say uh battery manufacturer catl which makes mm. batteries for a lot of the electric cars that we're driving up to and including teslas and they've said they are now developing a new more concentrated form of lithium ion battery which in theory would allow you to fit a battery big enough for a 600 700 kilometer range that would weigh as little as 200 kilograms uh -huh. they're actually developing it they're actually developing these batteries for aviation purposes but the idea mm -hmm. is that it will filter through to vehicle batteries in time and so there's yeah. kind of fingers crossed about that but, so uh, you know, we, that, we we are foreseeably we're going to wind up in um, cars that are genuinely zero emission um, and are extremely efficient, um, and that is brilliant news. And it, now there will mm. be a significant carbon cost in the manufacture of these things. Um, so you know they're, they're not an instant solution, but foreseeably all domestic civilian driving will be zero emission, um, and and that's you know a fantastic gain. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's, it's an, I mean, you know, we, we, we can talk about it in sort of big, broad terms about, yes, we can take the emissions out of motoring, which is obviously something we have to do. Never mind, it's a good thing. Yeah. We actually have to do it. And, and so, yeah, let's get on with that. But also, it, it, um, it makes the cars themselves better. Uh, you know, net of having a decent charging network to keep that flexibility for people. Yeah. Most electric cars, you know, the average hatchbacks, saloons, SUVs, they're nicer to drive than their old diesel and petrol equivalents because they are yeah. smoother and quieter. And Are they as much, you know, if you think of the, 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 the golden age of the motoring correspondent, um, uh, you know, uh, reviewing cars that are that became classics from E-type Jags to MGs to, uh, you know, the glory years of the 70s and 80s um, and, and those kind of exciting models. Uh, is it exciting these days? Uh, you know, does the car nerd, the car fan uh, still get as much fun out of it as they used to do? 
Yeah, I think we do actually. I think a lot of the a lot of the cars that like I say they're sort of mid-sized family cars, and if you put an electric motor into them, well, it's basically about the same as driving it with a diesel or with a petrol engine because those cars were never very exciting to drive. Yeah. There are some genuinely thrilling EVs to drive out there. You look at the likes of the Audi uh, e-tron GT and e-tron GT RS, the mm. Porsche Taycan. These are brilliant. Now, they are quite heavy, but they yeah, are yeah. brilliantly good to drive. They they give you that sort of feedback and sensation. Okay, you don't get the noise, but okay, that's one aspect that's gone. But also, I think looking forward and looking past 2035, I think there will still be you know, V12s, V8s, flat sixes, V6s, burning synthetic fuels. Because if you look at the entire production numbers of Ferrari, Lamborghini, Porsche, uh, Bentley, Mm. and those sorts of brands, it all adds up to about 0.25 of a percent of total global car production. And didn't they fight for an example? The the, the European car makers, predictably, um, you know, all with their national interests uh, front and centre, and um, they, they all look for exemptions. Uh, so some sort of recategorization of your, uh, you know, collectible, sensational Ferrari, Lamborghini, etc. And uh, they want to keep making petrol versions of those cars and, and just categorize them as something different. Yeah, I mean, they'll probably, uh, you know, it, there'll, there'll be a certain number that will be made for track use only. So you sort of sidestep yeah. the legislation like that. But also we are seeing the development of synthetic fuels. And while they're they're probably better aimed at things like aviation and heavy trucking yeah. and heavy shipping than they are at cars, those uh, those synthetic fuels, there will be an amount left over from the sort of bigger, heavier applications, yeah. which will very likely be used to power these these sort of high-end sports cars and if that fuel is genuinely carbon neutral and i accept that it's a big if well then why not let's let's keep a few of those uh you know for for those lucky enough to be able to afford them yeah maybe so maybe so even if it feels like it's diluting the uh, purpose of the legislation a bit and but we can as i say we can foresee that we'll all be driving in in emission-free vehicles that are very clean um, but our enemies, Neil, our enemies will not go away, will not go away. They will just pivot immediately to, you know, the, the next convenient reason to hate cars. Um, and that's going to be congestion in cities. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, that, 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 that sort of bleeds into the SUV row at the moment. Um, but uh, what, what's your thought of kind of the future for the car? Are, are, do, you, do you feel it's sort of being squeezed out of modern life or, or, or what are your thoughts? I think I think certainly there are efforts to do that, and I, I have some sympathy with them because you know it isn't necessarily the most efficient way of getting around, but it is mm. often the most convenient. Um, in terms of city centres, absolutely. Who who wants a car in a city centre? I I lived in London in the late 1990s when I was working there, and yeah. I never drove a car into the city centre of London because why would you? Why would you? you? And we all know yeah. European city centres, uh, um, you know, where the, the touristic hub is absolutely beautiful and not a car in sight. Yeah. And that's what we exactly. want. Exactly. That's totally what that's what I want. You know, yeah. as a as a dyed-in-the-wool car nut, that's what I want, because yeah. I want to be able to go into town and not have to think about parking and just be able to hop on, you know, a reliable, well-serviced bus or a tube train or, or a tram or something mm. to get me there. Uh, and that's still not a reality for an awful lot of people. No, and and, and and you know, I, I my, my job this afternoon, I have to go down to Sligo to collect my mother. Um, mm. She's living down there in Ennis Grown in Sligo. And you know what? 
uh, don't talk to me about buses and trains. Uh, absolutely ludicrous. I, I have to go and get her and bring her up to Dublin. And the only good yeah. solution to that, uh, you know, as for people in their droves in rural Ireland, um, the, the only good solution at all is the motor car. So um, it, it, we have to recognise the place for it. Totally. I mean, it, you know, it, people may rail against it, but there is a place for motoring. And I think there always will be. And I think there will always be a place for enjoyable motoring as well. We, you know, we, we're, we're, I think the one thing we learned from the pandemic was that we're a species that appreciates tactility, that yeah. sense of getting out and doing something and, and not living through a screen. And I think motoring does form an integral part of that. It certainly does for me anyway. And yeah. I, I know for an awful lot of other people as well. So I think, yeah, let's, Let's try and ditch the weight. Let's try and get yeah. back to making small, light, agile cars that are fun. Uh, and uh, uh, let's let's leave the SUV behind, guys. I mean, let's you know, let keep a few Land Rovers, keep a few Jeeps for those that really need that off-road ability. You know, if fair you enough. are going to tow a horse box, fair play to you. But uh, you know, it, but, exactly. You know, if the only plan, if it's if it's going to contain a gaggle of kids and a whole load of football boots and hurleys. Uh, and, and you're going to a suburban park in Dublin, and um, you know it doesn't need to be in a Range Rover. Well, I t I'll tell you what. I tell you what, the most the, the thing the thing I always get asked, but you know, whenever anybody finds out what I do for a living, and before I start boring them to death, they always <laughs> ask me what's the, what's the best car you've ever driven. And actually, the most fun I've ever had in a car was in a 1948 Series <laughs> One Land Rover, driving on a beautiful sunny day like it is today, windscreen down, doors off, roof off. That first generation Land Rover had a 1.6 litre engine, an 80 inch wheelbase, and it weighed just slightly over a ton. So, you know, you, you don't have to build these things big and hulking to make them fun, to make them enjoyable, to make them desirable even. So let's let's try and get back to that, shall we? Let's get back to that, shall we? Well, listen, Neil, fascinating chat. And um, thanks a million. And people will read you in the Irish Times. Um, how often do you publish there? Uh, usually in the Irish Times on a Wednesday and obviously uh, online all the time and online all the time at completecar.ie. You can you can read my various uh, insane ravings. A, 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 a joy for complete car nerds. Uh, and as I say, I'm a, I'm a fan of your pieces, Neil. They are uh, wonderfully written, wonderfully written. In fact, it was your article on the great big monster that is the BMW M5. Um, that, uh, you know, uh, tr tr triggered my... my um, uh, the, the, the bee in my bonnet about massive cars. Um, so listen, brilliant chat, Neil. Thanks very much. And um, talk, talk to you soon. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks very much, Connor. Always good to talk to you. So that's Neil Briscoe. I hope you enjoyed the chat. Let me know if you have any thoughts on the podcasts. Get in touch on connorfalkman at gmail.com. Do remember that you can access the full Driving Life archive of previous episodes at seniortimes.ie. Thanks again to Doro Mobile Phones and to Expressway Buses. And we're done. Drive safely, live happily, and come back and see us again. And will phone poke a new and will knappy no foom nis orjoet. Nis eskalehusaj, faker no phone in gwin on show, egg daro. An von klishte is deni gidi gohan la hai glina agus taskina. Ta rod egen gogachtina. Ta nismo olis egg daro.com.